And I really like the combination of uh, two founders uh, with a big uh, age gap. The, the, the younger person brings the energy. I mean, building a company is very, very hard. It's a lot of work. It uh, requ- requires very long hours. Uh, and normally the younger person has uh, has the energy, has the time, uh, and, and, and the older one normally wants to prioritize uh, lifestyle. On the other side, the older person tends to have uh, a network of contacts, has the experience. The younger person has normally is more up to date with the technology and the latest uh, trends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guests today are two Uruguayan entrepreneurs, Sergio Fogel and Gonzalo Strauss. Sergio is a fintech legend, having built and bootstrapped multiple fintechs, including the local a company that IPO'd on the NASDAQ in 2021 and is currently valued at more than $8 billion and is showing great results. Most recently, Sergio and Gonzalo have teamed up to build Datanomic, a B2B open finance enabler that aims to simplify financial data processes for companies and fintechs around the world. In this episode, we discuss the story of D-Local and how Sergio and team built a global multi-billion dollar giant with minimal funding. What culture did they create and what was some of their secret sauce? The IPO process. How do we know if a company is ready? Sergio takes us through their decision-making framework and why they listed on the NASDAQ. Launching Datanomic, Gonzalo built an internal tool at his previous company and then realized this could be an independent company. How did he end up partnering with Sergio? Is Uruguay the next global tech hub? We explore some of the reasons behind the tremendous success of the country's tech scene and just a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy this great conversation with Sergio and Gonzalo. Well, Sergio, Gonzalo, welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, all all the way from Montevideo, Uruguay. Is that correct? Yes, we are here. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's good good to see you. Um, Let's jump right into it. You you both have a very interesting story to tell, uh, and I suspect part of the audience or a lot of the audience got to be familiar with you, but would love to hear a bit about your background and, and maybe we can start with, with Sergio and you can tell us how you got into this fascinating and, and complex world of uh, payments and, and fintech. Yeah, the way I got into, into the area was uh, from the merchant side, actually. Um, my first, uh, first internet company was a company called Jet Numbers. Uh, we used to sell virtual phone numbers uh, online. So the idea is that if you're living in, in the US and you wanted to have a phone number of uh, the UK, you could buy the number and decide where you wanted to take the calls. And uh, we set up the whole, uh, the whole e-commerce around it and the, the plans and subscription, etc. Uh, we launched uh, back in 2005, 
we launched a campaign on, on Google Ads, which was uh, quite new at the time. And, uh, you know, when you're launching a new e-commerce platform or any type of, uh, of online service, you're launching and you never know if, uh, there's, if anybody's going to buy it. And so uh, we launched the campaign and we were super surprised because the first day uh, we got uh, eight customers. We said, wow, this is fantastic. We, we, we hit on a gold mine. There was something peculiar, which was that uh, large percent out of those eight customers, six came from Africa. I think four were from Ghana and uh, two from Nigeria or something like that. We said, well, it seems that there's a lot of demand for these services uh, from Africa. That's so cool. And the following day, uh, we found out what the chargeback was. <laughs> uh, so out of all the transactions, uh, four were, uh, were fraudulent. So what our initial response was to say, okay, let's leave, leave Africa outside because there's so much fraud in Africa. But actually, a couple of the, of the customers were legit. And, uh, and they were very good customers and they stayed with us uh, over time. Uh, so we decided that uh, as competition started to hit, we said, well, if we, most of our competitors were only accepting payments uh, from the US and Europe. So we said, okay, maybe if we accept payments uh, from other countries or other uh, geographies like uh, Asia, Africa, uh, Russia, uh, if we accept that, uh, we, have a, we have a very interesting niche. But that implied also that we needed to develop quite uh, sophisticated uh, anti-fraud uh, mechanisms. Sophisticated, I'm talking about uh, 2005, so today it would be quite uh, trivial uh, uh, mechanisms. But at the time it gave us uh, an edge. So that's uh, how we became quite proficient about how to manage acquirers, how to optimize the, the, the routing, and how to manage fraud. Uh, so that's uh, that was our first uh, step into into fintech, um, and then when we launched the AstroPay, uh, we found actually the same type of uh, of product of, of of problems on a much much bigger scale because we had the customers like uh, PokerStars, which were having very very high uh, rejection rates from the card schemes. But at the same time, they were having a very high, a very high uh, a fraud uh, rates. Uh, so we started to manage that, and we we that, that's that's the beginning of the story. And then, of course, the story is very long because it's been going on for fourteen years now. Yeah, you, your comment about anti-fraud in two thousand five reminds me of the story of PayPal, right? That um, Musk and and the original co-founders they would talk how. PayPal was was an anti-fraud uh, company with a payments layer on it, and you know that shows you the importance of it. Ha- Gonzalo, tell us about you. Uh, how, how did your journey in the fintech space begin? Yeah, my my background experience is of course shorter <laughs> than, than Sergio's one. Um, I actually don't know what what is working in a in a company that is not from from the payments and, and fintech industry. Uh, I, it was in 2017. I was uh, a software engineering student. I was in my first year of, of degree. And I had a classmate uh, that uh, was working in Astropay. It was uh, doing some uh, testing uh, for some hours. 
Um, I, I wanted to work uh, someplace the first years of, of the software engineering degree in, in Uruguay, the university. It's uh, much more science and math and physics than, than actually coding and programming. And I was studying software engineering because of the coding part. Uh, so I decided to, to get an interview in Astrobay. Uh, I was interviewed by, you know, that moment, the CTO of Astrobay, that was afterwards uh, the CEO of Astrobay. And that's how, how I started uh, working in, as a junior software developer, working part-time for hours a day uh, in this totally new world that I had no idea <laughs> what, 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 what I was doing and how this was uh, working uh, on the time. So let, let's talk a bit uh, more about the rest of your career, Sergio. And, and of course, uh, af- out of Astropay, you had the local, and now you have uh, Datanomic that both Gonzalo and you are, are building. And you know, in the past, I, I interviewed uh, Sebastian from uh, the local, of course, the CEO, and then I've met some of the team members there. And and Sergio, you, you have a bit of a unique style, and that is you 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 you're a co-founder, but you also partner with a wider team, usually younger folks than, than you, not to call out your age, uh, and you empower them, right? And and you work as a team. Tell us about this this approach and and why do you think it works and why you like it. Um. Well, actually, my my first experience was, was actually the, the exact opposite. I was the younger partner, so uh, I did have a partner and mentor. And I really liked the combination of uh, two founders uh, with a big uh, age gap because one brings, uh, the, the, the younger person brings the energy. I mean, building a company is very, very hard. It's a lot of work. It uh, requires very long hours. Uh, and normally the younger person has uh, has the energy, has the time, uh, and 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 the older one normally wants to prioritize uh, lifestyle. On the other side, the older person tends to have uh, a network of contacts, has the experience. The younger person has normally is more up to date with the technology and the latest uh, trends. So I found that the combination works uh, works very well for me. And yeah, I always believed in in having people that uh, that I can trust. I think I can uh, give them the ball and let them uh, run with it, and, and stay as a as a mentor and uh, and help and be a bit more on the let's say uh, riding shotgun, uh, letting the other person uh, drive the wheel. How do you ensure that you're not acting as you know, maybe someone who has more experience and, and thinks, you know, that things should be done in one way. And then, you know, how do you balance that versus actually empowering and, and not being too overpowering? Yeah, I remember when when we first uh, gave uh, Seba uh, from the local, when we first gave him the raise, uh, initially I was, I was still at the office. So he was the CEO, but I was uh, hanging around the office. And one day, uh, Andres, my original co-founder, uh, he came to me. He says, listen, Sergio, if Seba is running the company, you cannot be around. Let's rent some space uh, nearby, just across the street. 
go there, be available, whatever he needs us. But he, if he's managing the company, then he's managing the company. Um, and if he's, say, uh, I don't know, uh, talking to someone, you cannot be behind uh, and, uh, with, with the person looking to see what Sergio is, is saying. And, uh, and he was right. And uh, it worked out, out, of course, very, very well with, uh, with Seba and then it worked well with, with the other people. Of course, you need to have uh, talented people that you really can trust and that they are not ashamed uh, to, to ask for, for advice. And knowing that it's advice, uh, if, if I'm telling Gonzalo, I think he should do that. He should do something. And uh, if he thinks otherwise, it's his decision. Uh, he's, he's the CEO. I'm, I'm only here to support him. Disagree, disagree and comply. Uh, <laughs> so you have to learn to do, to do that as well. Is, is that your experience, Gonzalo? Because you, you, you're actually going through it right now. How, how has it been uh, working with, with Sergio? Yeah, I think more than just working with Sergio, we have something on, on our DNA uh, in Astrobay and in local known Sergio's and, and rest companies. When I, when I joined Astrobay, I joined again as a 19-year-old uh, employee with no uh, technical knowledge. And I was given great responsibilities. Uh, maybe at that time, I didn't know that I was having great responsibilities, but I was still a student. I was in my second year of, of university and I, could do, I was doing integrations of uh, new payment methods in Brazil, in Argentina, in Mexico, in Colombia, that hundreds and millions of transactions uh, per month, per day, uh, were going through our, our rails. So, uh, it's not only on the leadership, of course, Seba, Hako, Mika from Astropay and Right now, me, we are all uh, young, but I think that we are all uh, empowered and, and we all have responsibilities. And it's not something on, on our age. It's, on, again, on ownership and, and something that I think it was well-educated on, on all, the, all the employees and these companies. So we're going to talk about the dynamic, of course. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit more about the local, uh, Sergio. Because the company has been extremely successful anyway you look at it, IPO last year, and this tough market is trading above IPO price, which is in itself an accomplishment. But more importantly, you're building value. Maybe tell us about some of that special sauce in the early days that catapulted the company uh, onwards. Uh, particularly, and then this stands out in every conversation that I have about DiLoco, is the fact that you've built it with the HQ out of Montevideo, Uruguay, uh, which of course is a po point of pride, but it but it's not every day that you see a D local, right? So maybe tell us about those early days. Well, the early days are always uh, very, how do you say, very exciting, very exhausting. It's a lot of work, uh, and of course every time. You win over a customer. It's uh, it's an amazing uh, experience, and uh, it's it's a whole company working together. And and it's true what you say. I mean, the the, the initial days of a company, it's where it's when the culture is uh, is uh, defined, and after that, it's very very hard to uh, to change the culture. The best way that the culture is is made is uh, through uh, leading by example. And we were super committed uh, from from the very beginning. We were very frugal. That uh, is is engraved in the in, in the culture of the company, and I still I still see that uh, today. Uh, like for instance, uh, 
even today, the local uh, doesn't uh, pay business class flights. Everybody flights a coach, and if someone wants to pay extra for business class, they're welcome to do it. But but the whole co- company is very is very frugal and it's very very committed. So we have lots of examples of uh, today. Today we operate in I don't remember the exact number, but it's over forty different countries, and sometimes. Uh, we have uh, an issue in uh, somewhere in the world, and I remember we, we were once about to to lose a customer, uh, and the customer was out of Beijing. So I I took a flight on uh, on a few hours' notice. Uh, I traveled all the way to Beijing. Took me forty eight hours to get there. Had a meeting with them. They were kind enough to I rescued the deal. They were kind enough to invite me for dinner. And uh, I, I toured the city a bit the following day and I came back. And uh, so today I can expect from people to do the t- same type of things and they do it. And uh, we have today people, uh, today, uh, just, just a, a small example, Jacobo, our, our president, he moved to, to South Africa one month ago and he's living there because it's critical for us uh, to develop the geography of, of Africa and there's no way we can do it remotely. So he said, okay, we need to push Africa, move into Africa. And it came from him. We didn't have to, to tell him or to ask him. It was his initiative. And we, accept, we expect the same type of uh, commitment from, from everyone, from the CEO all the way down to the customer service people. And, and you, you bootstrap for the most part, but then you got to a point where you, you raised from, from GA and a couple other investors. And then that took you all the way to IPO. Uh, and it was a su- successful IPO. But for listeners, how do you know if a company is truly ready for IPO? And then why did you make the decision to actually go public? Well, f- first of all, we were bootstrapped. Uh, when we raised money from, from GA, we weren't looking for the investment, we were looking for the investor. Uh, the company was cash flow, cash flow positive, we didn't uh, really need the money, but we needed someone that could help us take the company one level or, or, or maybe two or three levels uh, higher. About when to IPO, um, well, in our case, we were clearly ready and, uh, uh, and actually we were, uh, banks were, were actually chasing us, chasing after us. Um, and we were a bit uh, reluctant because, I mean, when you're cash flow positive, you don't really need the, 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 the IPO. Uh, being a public company means that you're going to be under um, quite heavy scrutiny and you're going to be chasing after quarterly results. And there, there are many drawbacks to it. Uh, you, ha- you do have the benefit of uh, the liquidity, which is, of course, uh, good. But as a founder, it's also quite challenging because it's not that you can sell at any moment. Um, but what we felt was that uh, for us, being a public company would give us a legitimate legitimacy in front of our customers. Uh, it's much, much easier uh, to onboard a customer when you're a public company. Finance uh, feels much more comfortable working with a counterpart that is uh, publicly listed. Especially when uh, on a normal day, we are sitting on top of uh, literally millions or even billions of dollars of customers' uh, funds. So uh, 
that was the most important part for us, gaining the legitimacy, especially because, as you said, we are from Uruguay, and some people say, wait, how much money do these uh, guys out of Uruguay owe us, uh, and why we're doing this? Um, so again, it worked out very well for us. So, Gonzalo, let's, let's uh, fast forward a little bit, and, and let's talk about Datanomic. Um, maybe take us through the inspiration, how you stumbled into the, the problem and, and, and what you're building. I think it, it all started because of my, my first role uh, in AstroPay when I was a, a software developer. I was in a team called Integrations Team, uh, which was actually responsible of integrating to these new uh, payment methods around uh, all the emerging markets that we were targeting in, uh, LATAM, of course, but also India, Southeast Asia, uh, Africa. And uh, we were leading with, I don't know, 200, 300, 400, maybe uh, different type of payment methods. Uh, it was a very fragmented market. So then um, I started as a head of product uh, in Answer Bay uh, a few years later. And one of my first uh, responsibilities was um, asking all the different teams of the, of the company uh, to understand uh, their challenges that they were facing and understand what we could help from the product side, right? I realized that most of these teams were uh, having the same challenge that was the access uh, to this financial information. We're a payment processor company in emerging markets. It means that uh, cash uh, is still uh, king, right? Uh, for our operations to work uh, smoothly, uh, we need to have maybe 400, 500 bank accounts uh, just in LATAM, uh, for example, in Brazil, in Mexico, in Colombia, in Chile, uh, in Peru. And you can imagine that not only for reconciliation, uh, but also for audit, uh, for expatriations, for operations, for the settlements, uh, for treasury, uh, actually for any type of operation of the company, uh, we need that type of information, of financial information. Maybe when I started, when I joined Astra in 2017, uh, the volumes were uh, scalable. We were having like maybe 10 to 15 people logging in into each of these platforms, home bankings, uh, access those and then download the bank extracts. But it was then 2021 and the volumes were a little bit higher and it was totally unscalable and inefficient in the way that we were actually accessing that information because it was uh, totally manual. Uh, so we started um gathering information from from other markets from the industry uh, as a whole and understanding if there was any any solution any alternative solution uh, we found out that this was uh, all this open banking movement uh, and open finance movement in Europe and in the US uh, Latam was just starting with uh, some basic players uh, doing basic stuff on, on open banking. But most of these players, not only in LATAM, but also in Europe and in the US, uh, were focused on the consumer side, on, on, on bringing benefits to the end users. But we're not uh, thinking of building a company. We're just thinking on, on solving an internal problem uh, with an internal solution. And none of these uh, products that were outside on the market were useful for us. We were an enterprise with enterprise requirements with enterprise use cases uh, that we need to solve for a specific uh, problem. 
that's where uh, after some talks with uh, our, our CEO, my boss at the time, he told me, okay, Gonzalo, if, if there is no external tool, let's just uh, do it. And that's part of our DNA uh, in, in Astrobay and in the local. So we gathered two to three uh, developers at the time. Uh, we started developing an internal tool uh, inside Astrobay. And after two, three months uh, of development, we realized that we were, what we were actually uh, solving was not only useful for us to pay, was not only useful, for example, to uh, the local, but was actually useful for many other companies and not only from the fintech uh, industry, but actually from many other industries. That's where I, of course, pitched Sergio. Sergio was my, my first uh, pitch at that time. Uh, I told Sergio, Sergio, look, we have this MVP. Uh, we have been achieving uh, these uh, preliminary results. And I want to still focus on this specific project. Sergio told me, Gonzalo, this is not an MVP. This is already a product. You have already a customer. And that's where we started all this VC journey where we've reached A16C. And well, then we validated the idea, the thesis of, of what we were actually trying to solve. And that's how we started uh, everything with Datanomic. I always say that we, we started with the opposite path from most of the of the startups, right? We when we pitched it with um, Andreessen, uh, we didn't have a PowerPoint presentation. We just have the <laughs> the product. Uh, so uh, it was really funny because I I didn't even know how to how to build a deck, and the only way to pitch to Andreessen was actually showing the product and the results that we were achieving uh, inside Asprey. We didn't have any any name. We that dynamic didn't exist at the time. Uh, so that's how we we started with Atomic. So it's, it's a bit of uh, the opposite approach for DLocal that you you, you raise very minimal. Uh, the beginning here, you actually decided to go after uh, VC funding from day zero. Uh, why why the decision uh, to, yeah. to raise initial round? But the reasons are are actually not uh, the usual. Uh, we had the money lucky uh, for us. Uh, but we didn't have the validation. Uh, I will say um, maybe the Astrobay experience was a very hardcore experience. It was a very specific customer uh, with a very specific needs. There are no so many players that handle 400 to 500 uh, bank accounts in, in, in Brazil, right? So yes, it was a really great solution uh, for Astrobay, but we were never thinking of doing a company. We were just thinking on a product. So if we really wanted to understand if there was a market opportunity, uh, we need to have another validation. And one of our thesis was, okay, uh, if there is a great top tier one investor that can validate our thesis, is A16C. And when we reached out to Andreessen, they told us, you have a great opportunity. Uh, let's just chase it. So that's how we started with Andreessen, not because of the money, but because of this really smart money <laughs> Uh, definition, right? Sergio, having launched uh, a number of companies already, are, are you seeing, I'm, I'm guessing you're seeing parallels at Datanomic from what you saw in the early days at AstroPay and, and the local. Is that the case? Uh, yes. I would say that the biggest uh, parallel I see, I remember I, I had over, over the years, I had many, many uh, talks with a few VC friends. And uh, I remember that a, a question that kept coming up uh, 
with the VCs was about the local was what's the time, what's the size of, of the market that you're going after? And, uh, and my, my answer at the time was, I cannot even measure it. It's, we are just uh, scratching the surface. The, the market is huge. I cannot even tell you what's, what's the size of them because it's, I mean, we were just uh, selling to a few customers uh, back at the time, GoDaddy, a couple others. So I could only imagine what was the size of the cross-border uh, uh, e-commerce or cross-border sale of services in emerging markets. Today, we have a much better idea of, of the size of it, but back then, it, we were just a fraction of a percent. And uh, today, we're seeing the same with the, with the economic. We are seeing a, a market that it's so hard for us to measure what's the size of it, because it seems that every, every stone that, that we turn, we find uh, new use cases, new opportunities. So it seems that we are going after something that is uh, really, really big. Every time we show it, uh, the, the, the success rate that we have when we sit down with a potential customer, we show them what we have. The success rate is, uh, is amazing. Uh, it's like, I don't know, maybe 80% everyone seems to, to need what we have to offer. Uh, so we are sure that we are going after an untapped uh, huge, huge market. What's the vision for, for Datanomic over the next you know, a couple of years. I think when, when we speak about open banking and, and open finance, we, we tend to think that it's a, of course, it's a financial concept, right? Because uh, uh, the, the definition of open banking is positioning the user as the, as the owner of, of the ranking data, of their financial data now, in the case of open finance. Uh, but the, the impact, it's global. Uh, it's not only for uh, financial companies, because actually um, this is aligned with A16C thesis. Uh, every company is actually a, a fintech company, right? Because right now, any type of company, any, any, any company from any different type of industry, any size, uh, is having some kind of financial movement or financial operations. Uh, so our vision is enabling any company um, the access to better uh, financial information, uh, which should be simple right now. It's 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 uh, it's crazy to think that uh, technology has evolved a lot, but not in the way that we access uh, to this kind of data, uh, and how we can uh, adapt many opportunities for these companies, and how they can achieve uh, great great results when we solve these these kind of uh, problems. Right? Maybe I. I can ask, add to that. The most basic question that a CFO needs to know is how much money you have. That's that's like the very basic. Today, a very large uh, percentage of companies, the CFO uh, cannot get that information very quickly. Uh, why? Because you have uh, many banking relationships, uh, and and with time you have more and more because you used to have maybe two or three bank accounts. Now you have many bank accounts, but you also have e-wallets because you want to receive money through e-wallets and you have, a, let's say, a PayPal account and you have crypto and you have a, a different type of a, a credit cards where you can have a balance. So just, just knowing how much money you have can take sometimes, I don't know, uh, a few hours uh, of, of a dedicated person. Uh, so that, that, that's like the very, very basic building block. 
And on top of that, you can add more and more sophistication. You, you may want to, to plan ahead. You may want to uh, add analytical tools. You may want to add uh, artificial intelligence. Now, every bank provides you the information in a different format. Uh, some of them will give you an Excel file. Some of them will give you a CSV. Some will give you a PDF. And then when you want to consolidate all, all that information, it gets uh, quite, quite hard. And just, I'm talking just for the very basic information. So the way we see it is we are, what we're building is an API business. We're going to have an API that will give you a unified uh, way to access all your, all your uh, financial information. And on top of that, there's going to be many, many uh, different uh, applications built on top of that API. We will build a couple of those and we'll open it to other developers to, to build, I don't know, a myriad of other uh, uh, applications for that. Yeah, and, and you have to take into account that uh, there are more and more companies right now that are global by default, right? This was the case, of course, of the local. This is right now the case of Datanomic that we have. We are from, from Uruguay, yes, we have headquarters here in Montevideo, but we are right, right now operating in Brazil, Colombia, Mexico. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's easy in a way uh, to operate in multiple countries um, in one shot. But at the same time, uh, you need to take into account other uh, kind of operations that maybe you are not thinking uh, on a first instance, right? For example, if you want to operate in Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, you have to open bank accounts in each of these countries. And you are surely won't be having the experience and the time uh, to deal with all these uh, financial information. You're handling many different types of currencies, many different uh, bank accounts from multiple banks, from multiple financial sources. Uh, so not just for the CFO, but for any financial team uh, in general, uh, it's kind of chaotic in the way that they need to access this financial information. We're trying to solve this. So uh, in, in emerging market, it's something that it was always a problem. Uh, but right now, because it's easier to be global uh, and it's faster, it's uh, also huge, right? Yeah, the, the the tools are there, and and in fact, there was a an article from A16Z just this week, right, about how the the modern companies default global, and and I, actually that kind of leads me into my my last question to to both of you, and is to talk a, a little bit about Uruguay, uh, and and you know, full disclosure, I have a soft spot for Uruguay. Uh, I I graduated high school there, and I still have my family uh, back in Montevideo. Uh, and I'm always extremely happy to see uh, how it's sort of becoming, many people have compared it to Estonia, <laughs> the Estonia of, of Latin America, where there's just this amazing wave of innovation happening in a, in a country with about 3 million people. Um, so uh, to both of you, what's, what do you think is driving this this uh, local innovation and should we expect more unicorns from Uruguay? Well, I'll start with your last question. The answer is yes. Uh, well, we already have a second one, uh, which is uh, Nowports, which is a company, uh, two founders, uh, one Uruguay and one Mexican. Um, but it, I would say it's more Mexican than Uruguayan, but still we like to count it. Um, you were talking before about default global. I think that every technology company in Uruguay is default global. I mean, you cannot be 
local unless your ambitions are very small. Yeah, because the country is so small, you you have to go uh, global very quickly, or at least at the very least uh, regional. Um, the thing is that uh, with the neighbors that we have being regional, it's quite tough because uh, Brazil is uh, uh, has a different language, has quite different culture. Uh, Argentina is a very tough country to do business in. And the other thing is that uh, back to your your original question, what's going on with Uruguay? Why why this is happening? I think it's a product of, uh, I don't know exactly how many, probably over 40 years of uh, of a stable and constant uh, macroeconomic policy. We've had uh, governments uh, from the left and the right, but the whole, the, the economic uh, uh, policies have been the same over 40 years now. And you start to see the, 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 the fruits of that. Uh, and we don't expect it to, to change. Uh, hopefully, it will remain like this for a very long time. Which is, uh, it's you, you look at uh, the whole of Latin America, and it seems to be like uh, an, island, an island in that uh, respect. I don't know if you want to add something. No, yes, for me, well, uh, answering the second question, for me, it's just a matter of time on seeing new unicorns being raised from, uh, from Uruguay. And regarding the first one, I think it's also from my perspective, a uh, kind of a snowball uh, effect here at Uruguay as well. Uh, of course, the local is, is a great success and, and yeah, it's a great story. And every employee, and every Uruguayan that is actually uh, working in the, in the tech space is inspired uh, by the local story. I was inspired by the local story even when, when the local even didn't exist, right? So... Uh, even when I joined Astrope, uh, we were just uh, sharing offices with the local and they were just a bunch of 10 to 15 uh, people. And for me, it's it's a great influence. So I think that because of the local success, because all these new companies being born from the local inspiration or Astrope inspiration, uh, it's just a matter of time to see more and more companies putting your way in, in, the, in the way that we, we should put it, right? Wonderful. And sounds like everyone should attend Punta Tech. Is, is that the case? Uh, yes, Sarah is welcome. Uh, it's going to be on uh, January 9th, uh, the coming year. And it's a very exciting gathering uh, of uh, tech entrepreneurs, investors, and uh, related people. And uh, it's going to be on a massive scale once again. Wonderful. So January 9th, 2023. I'll be there and uh, let's encourage even more folks to stop by. But uh, Gonzalo, Sergio, thank you so much. Uh, truly interesting learning from you. Uh, no doubt the audience is going to eat this up and, and they're going to learn from you and, and congrats on all your success. Thank you. Thank you very much, Miguel. Thank you, Miguel. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sergio Fogel and Gonzalo Strauss. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Miguel Armasa.